Welcome to the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. All right, the first sermon of 2021. Let's see how this goes. I, uh, I'm going to start, I'm not going to start with a text. I'm going to start talking to you. Then we'll get into some, some text. Amen. <clears throat> That's good, Jansen. Thank you. I, uh, I'm going to give you the punchline of this new series at the very beginning. Normally you kind of try to build up and make it just, ha, ah, just big revelation. Oh, look. I'm going to give you the punchline at the very beginning because it's important for you to know where we're going. And after I give you the punchline and I finish this first, I'm going to preach on this for a few weeks. When I say few, I mean like three, not 30. I do know a preacher one time that preached 72 weeks on the word of. Hashtag painful. Right. I'm going to give you the punchline at the beginning. And then we will see if you come back next week, won't we? I'm going to preach to you about money. Now, hang on, because I know what you think. Whenever a preacher wants to talk about money, what he's going to be talking about is how to get me to give more money. We're not preaching on giving. That's not what this is. This isn't a sermon series on tithing. I've preached that here for years, and at this point, we should be beyond this, right? We should be beyond giving back into the kingdom of God. We should be beyond tithe and offering. At some point, you got to grow up, right? At some point, you got to grow up. What I do want to talk about, and there were some situations at the end of this past year, not within our church, but within some people in, in the community in our surrounding area, I'd been stirring on this for a while, but this really brought it into sharp focus, especially with COVID last year. And you see all of the, what, what COVID did was it revealed that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of vulnerable people, not in third world countries, but in Cedar Bluff, right? In Farragut, in Carnes, there's a lot of vulnerable people. And so when I say I want to talk about money, I'm not trying to get you to give more money. Our church is unbelievably generous. Our church gives. We have preached on tithing and offering, and it's in our bones, and I'm thankful for that. I want to go a step further. I do not believe that God has called the church. And when I say the church, I don't mean our church. I mean you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and me, and all of us. I mean the church. I don't believe that God's called us to be rich. I do believe God's called us to be wealthy. There is a difference. Being rich is about accumulation. How much can I acquire unto myself? Being wealthy is about being empowered. When COVID hit and some of the families and people that I was interacting with that were struck by it profoundly, that were hindered by it profoundly, 
a lot of them needed more than prayer. The single mom needed her light bill paid. Prayed for her, but write a check after you get off your knees. Right? The single mom needed a car that was reliable so she could get to her third job. And I know, it, I know it's in vogue now to rail against the wealthy from your iPhone as you type it on Facebook, sitting in Starbucks, writing in a journal you bought from Amazon. I know that's cool. I understand. I don't want to harsh your cool, your mellow. I don't want to do that. When I was growing up, we, we were introduced to something called the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel. There were some good things about it, and there were just some absolutely perverse things about it. One of the perverse things about it was that we preached. I say we. I was, I was not preaching at the time. I was too young. I was 12, 13, 14 years old. But it was preached. It was commonly taught that the more money you have, the more that is a sign that God's hands on your life. And if you don't have any money, if you're broke, that's a sign that God's hand is removed from your life. And so we judged people's status before God based upon what they drove or what they lived in. That's perverse. You with me? That's perverse. But true to form, the church always responds to one perversion with another perversion. We always respond to, it is awfully uncomfortable in here. Let me, let me sum it up this way. I'm trying to get you blessed. Does that take the guards down? Now you're like, oh, I'm about to take notes. You pull out the notes app now, <laughs> right? We respond to one extreme with another extreme. We do this all throughout our history as a church. So instead of uh, understanding God's actual plans for money and wealth, we repudiate prosperity, and now the more you have, the more God hates you, not the more God loves you. And if you're broke, that's when you're really glorifying God. So we used to teach that your status before God was on how much you have. And now we have swung the pendulum the other direction and now your status before God is how much you don't have. Right? And we do that for a couple of reasons. We do it for a couple of reasons. Number one, we do it not because we really, not because we really love the poor. We do it because really we envy the rich. And they've got something that I don't have, so it can't be right. right. And as you rail against money on your $1,500 smartphone, on Facebook, drinking a $6.50 coffee in a $32 journal you ordered from Amazon, right? Wearing, I don't know. I ran out. Air Force Ones. Now I'm getting in trouble messing with the shoe game. Talking about how wicked the rich are and how wicked the, 
those that have means are. And you fail to realize that everybody, if you're able to even live in Knoxville and survive, you're the top 1% of income earners in the history of the world. You are one of those evil rich people. I only make $50,000 a year. You wicked and slothful. Right? So how do we think about this rightly? Because money's become so taboo in church, and T.D. Jakes said it the best. He said there are two topics in church that we have to pretend are taboo. Money and sex. And we are obligated to act like we want neither. When in fact, we want both. It's okay, look straight ahead. (laughs) He didn't say that on Sunday morning. So how do we think about this? How do we think about this? Part of the issue of the prosperity movement, part of the issue of the prosperity gospel was this. Not that they believed that God wanted to bless you. You can't get away from that. You can't get away from that. You can't read the Bible and get away from that. It was they thought that the purpose of God's blessing was simply to accumulate more to themselves. Instead, we are called to be blessed so that we can be a blessing. And when I say be a blessing, this is what I mean. That means we, being, we are empowered enough to prevent misfortune on behalf of somebody else. Either the church can rise up to that level or you can just keep praying for stimulus checks. Right? How do we get to that point where we are empowered enough to help those that don't have enough. God wants the church to have more than enough because there will always be somebody that does not have enough. And either God's people can become that or we can rely on the government that is well known for its ability to handle money. We're waiting on the government to become this philanthropic force for good. And if that's what you're waiting on, you understand neither philanthropy nor the government. Why is it weird in here? I got on your stimulus check, right? Done. Already spent that bad boy. Already got a new TV for the sitting room. That was gone before that was gone before it got here. You already wrote a check for that and was believing God it'd show up on time. <laughs> James said it this way. He said, if you see your brother have need, and this is what you say to him, be warm and be filled, but don't do something for him. How does the love of God dwell in you? Because faith without works is dead. That is our position as a church. Primarily, especially this hyper, super woke millennial church where money is sinful, money is immoral. Money can either feed a crack habit or it can pay for a single mom to have a car. Money's not either moral or immoral. Money is amoral. 
And the Bible does not warn against money. The Bible warns against our spirit and our attitude toward money. You hearing what I'm saying? He does not say, Paul never told them, don't be rich. He said, don't trust in that. Tell the rich not to not be rich. Tell the rich, don't trust in that. And if God can get money through you, God can get money to you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But I think, I think it was, it was it, this is more like a talk than it is a sermon. This is my TED. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> it, was, it was interesting to me to see how vulnerable people became when everything came to a grinding halt. And I'm not faulting anybody for that. I'm not faulting anybody for that. That's not what we're here to do. What we are here to do is, I'm, I'm, I was fascinated to see how the church reacted to that. I was fascinated to see how we thought through that. And if Facebook is any thermometer for where we are, and I pray to God that it's not, it has to be an alternative reality. Where people are in need, but we can't help. It's especially challenging to acquire something to yourself that you believe in its bones is wicked, like wealth. Did you know that the Jewish people make up about 6% of the U.S. population and they own 25% of the U.S. wealth? 25% of the people on the Forbes 400 are Jewish. I read a book one time about the way Jewish people think about money. And the first principle they said was this, that the Jewish people, the Jewish faith teaches that the pursuit of money and wealth is presented as a morally right and good thing to do. Pursuing wealth and income and increase is not wicked, it's righteous. If we understand its purpose. And its purpose is not accumulation. Its purpose is I am going to prevent misfortune on behalf of somebody else. I saw a super woke, hyper woke Christian guy that I follow. Um, he wrote this, and, and there's so many things that he says that I like and that I appreciate, but he wrote this. He says, it is impossible to be a Christian and be a billionaire. It was interesting because I had just read a story about a Christian billionaire. He was worth $2.2 billion. And two years ago, he had given $550 million to churches, ministries, charities, and nonprofits. Tell me that's not righteous. What about the other 75%? He gave more than you did. Not just numerically, but percentage-wise. Right? Listen, it is much easier. It's always easier to give away other people's money. Right? Well, if I had that, I would do You don't know what you would do. You don't know what you would do with 60 billion when you're not doing it with 60,000. Don't lie to you. Don't lie to yourself and tell yourself that if you had that, it would be different. 
it takes maturity to handle that kind of wealth. It takes character to handle that kind of wealth. Are there wealthy people that, are, that have no character? Of course. Just like there's poor people with no character. Just like there's middle class people with no character. So as the church, we are called to be empowered. Not just to lay hands and sling oil but to write checks, to cancel debt, and to pay bills on behalf of somebody else. Are you with me? So how do we get there? Y'all like, listen, man, that $600 felt like 60000 We can't be talking about blessing anybody else right now. I understand. I understand where you come from. I know it's been a hard year. But I want to cast for you a vision of what the church is supposed to look like can't be a Christian and a billionaire. Who else would you rather have it? The government? Really? So they could fund another study about seahorses in the ocean for $150 trillion. And I hope the seahorses are okay. I'm not hating on the seahorses or the oceans. But, but is, is that really what we want? Is that really where we want those resources to go? And when we know we're not empowered, we resort to two options. Hating on those that have money and rebuking the government for not giving us more. Right? So how do we as the church get to the place where we are empowered with wealth to prevent misfortune on behalf of somebody else. One of the things the prosperity gospel never talked about ever when I was growing up was that the purpose of wealth was for others. The purpose of wealth was for others. God wants to empower you to be a blessing. God wants to empower you to lift somebody else out of their situation. There's some single moms that I know right now that paying the power bill for three months would change their life. Change their life. I don't mean it would be a nice thank you. I mean, it would change the trajectory of the year. How do we get there? I'm so glad you asked. I've thought about this a lot. I've read about this a lot. We're going to go into a lot of stories through this, not, not today, but throughout this series. We're going to talk, because everybody's favorite story, right? It's the rich young ruler. That proves that wealth is sinful. Sell everything you got and give it to the poor and follow me. Right? So if you don't sell everything, if you don't sell that iPhone that you post on Facebook with and give up your Starbucks coffee and your journal from Amazon, if I had all the big corporations and using the Google search, I don't know. If you don't do that, you're sinful, you're wicked. How do we get there? The first thing that we are called to do financially is to take care of now. Our immediate now. Okay? The Bible talks about money all the time. The Bible talks about getting out of debt. The borrower's slave to the lender. Right? 
getting out of debt. That's taken care of now. It is God honoring to take care of your family first. You with me? I have, I have seen preachers whose kids starve because dad has a big heart. That's not honoring to God. I know kids that grow up and will not go to church because of how mom and dad handled money and handled the ministry and couldn't provide for us because they were worried what everybody else would think if we got a new pair of shoes for Christmas. That's sinful. Y'all need to talk back to me. I'm going to help you. Just hang in here. We'll get to the help part in a second. It is God honoring for you to take care of your family first. Do not preach to me about helping the poor when our own affairs are jacked up. Don't talk about it. You're not ready to help them yet. Poor people can't help poor people. Broke people can't help broke people. And if you do not provide for your own, especially those of your own house, the Bible says we've denied the faith and we are worse than unbelievers. Do you know what Paul was writing to Timothy when he wrote that? There were widows that were not being fed by the daily administration of the church. And Paul said, if they're under 60 years old, tell their families to take care of them. They should have enough. They should be empowered enough that you can take care of the kids and mom. I'll turn that we'll use that as a text. Go to 1 Timothy 5. When you get there, say roll tide. There you go. First Timothy 5, verse number 3. Paul is writing to this pastor of his church. Honor widows that are widows indeed. Why in the New Testament does it talk about widows all of the time? Because the Roman Empire was not known. It did not have a sophisticated built-in welfare structure. They just let people die. If you were a widow, if you were a woman, you were not usually working. And your husband, the main income earner, if he died... You've got problems at that point. And so you see the early church banding around and, 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 and rallying around widows and orphans to take care of them. Heard a preacher the other day. He was preaching at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, you see this, this uh, radical um, selling everything and living together in communal living type arrangement like just one giant Hippie commune for Jesus, right? And I was listening to a preacher the other day, one of these super woke guys saying, this is the vision of the New Testament. This is what we're called to do. First of all, nobody in here want to live in a commune with me, right? Or Cole. I subjected myself the other night to just a tongue lashing about me and you between our two wives. I'll have to tell you about it earlier. And I just sit there and I just took it. I absorbed it like the man of God that I am. And I just sit there humbly, submissively and said, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. <clears throat> so I was listening to this preacher talk about this is, this is the vision. We got to rally to this. We got to rally around this. And we're called to sell everything and live together. Does that freak you out? Good. 
uh, read this New Testament scholar. He said this. I, I never knew this. He said the early church, Acts chapter 2, when they sold everything and lived together, that was viewed as an experiment performed by the early church that did not go well. That's why you never see Paul calling us to that. Paul does call us to care for the poor. But we cannot care for them if all we have to offer is prayer and a Bible verse. Right? So Paul is writing to this pastor. Verse 3, honor widows who are really widows. If a widow has children or grandchildren, they should first learn, watch, they should first learn their religious duty. He calls it your duty to take care of your own. It's your duty. They should first learn their religious duty to their own family and make some repayment to their parents. For this is pleasing in God's sight. The real widow left alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead while she lives. Give these commands as well so that they may be above reproach. Whoever does not provide for relatives and especially for family members has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. God's first call to the church financially is to take care of our house. That means getting out of debt, right? I'm not going to Dave Ramsey you to death, but it means getting out of debt. Okay. It means, it means living on a budget. Living on a budget. Jesus said that nobody goes to build a tower if he doesn't first sit down and count the cost or he'll get halfway through it and won't be able to afford it and everybody will mock him and laugh him to scorn. Right? It means, it means saving money in the house of the wise or stores of choice food and oil. In the house of the wise, there are stores. It means I'm living less than you make. But a fool devours all that he has. Think about that because you're about to do your taxes. And if that's not a wake-up call, I don't know what is. Because you see what comes in. And then you see what you have left. And you look at the two numbers. You think this, this is a mathematical impossibility. This is an anomaly. There has to be something missing somewhere. There's no way I made that much money. I got that much left. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and all, but the fool, fool devours all that he has. We deal with now. We take care of our family now. That's first. That's first. Pay your bills. That's first. Meet your obligations. That's first. You with me? I'm going to get to the blessing in a minute. But we can't talk about that. We can't talk about that till we get these steps right. Get out of debt. Live on a budget. Save money. Live on less than you make. Give. There's no point in your Christian life where you should not be giving at whatever stage financially you're at. No point at all. God loves a cheerful giver. And you will reap what you sow. And if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. Amen? 
after you get control, that's about getting control. That's about getting control. I told you uh, two weeks ago when I was preaching, I had a conversation with somebody. They were in a financial mess and I was talking to them and we were just going over their finances and we were looking at numbers and they had their bank statement and they spend on average $3,000 a month eating out. Eating out. And was mad because the stimulus ain't enough. You eating your stimulus. If you would quit going to Outback, you'd feel like you got a raise. You're spending $36,000 a year eating out. And Bill Gates is wicked for being rich. Out of control. Out of control. I read a statistic the other day. It was like, I think in 2018, Americans paid over $2 billion in non-sufficient fund fees. That's a sign of chaotic living. Out of control. But the wicked, the rich are wicked, and we're called to help the poor. But if I write you a check, you got to cash it two weeks from now. Post-date that three months. Give the power company an IOU. Because money's evil till you need some of it. That's why Ecclesiastes said money answers everything. Money's the answer. So weird in here right now. I knew I was going to preface this entire message by saying, I'm going to make some of you angry. I understand that at the beginning, but I can't force you to be right. When my wife disagrees with me at home, that's what I tell her. Looks fine, honey. You can disagree. I can't force you to be right. You'll get that on the way home. We have to take care of now. Right? After now, after you get control now, you can start thinking about then. In the future. You can start thinking about, oh, I got three kids. They got to go to college. I got two daughters. I got to pay for weddings. Unless you just want to serve God in the temple day and night as a nun. (laughs) With prayer and fasting, which I fully support. We got cars we got to pay for. We've got retirement we got to fund because I ain't doing this forever. You start thinking about then. It's, it's heartbreaking when we are so gripped by the now, we can't even dream about then. Right? Me and Lindsay have conversations often. Close your ears, Annalise. About how awesome it's going to be when the kids move out. Right? Can I get it? Who, so who, gave me, who gave me an amen over there? Glory to God. How awesome it's going to be. I will, talk to some, I will talk to some young parents and I'm like, do you guys ever dream about what it's going to be like when you're empty nesters? They're like, oh God, no, I can't fathom them leaving. I'm like, either there's something wrong with you or there's something wrong with me because we talk about it on the regular. We're going to do this and then we're going to do that. And then Annalise will walk in and say, what you're talking about? Nothing, sweetheart. You need anything? 
until you get ready, until you prepare for now, we can't think about then. I'm trying to get down in us a foundation that will prepare us to be those empowered people God's called us to be, right? We are called to burn for the poor, for those that don't have enough, but we have to be empowered to meet those needs. Or we're just going to pray and post on Facebook. And that's going to make a whole lot of difference, let me tell you. Right? Rage against the system. And I'm, I believe there are, there's things in our system that need rebuked and challenged. and fit. I'm, I'm not even getting into all that. My point is, we are called to be the solution, not just complain that there aren't any. You with me? So you have, to get, you have to get now under control. You need to spend this year getting now under control. You got to get that under control. And after you get now under control, you can start thinking about then, and then you can get then under control. Now is about getting this under control. Then is about getting the future prepared. Where I'm putting money back now for me and my wife. We're going to be fine the rest of our life. You can do that. You can do that. Well, I, don't, I don't have time to get it. There are, you, you will make more than enough money over the course of your life to take care of then. You will. You live in Knoxville. Your apartment payment would buy three houses in the town I came from. Can I get a witness from the Hamilton folk? Right? You have like actual working stuff here. You can call maintenance people and they come to your house and everything. I had I had never in my life had a pizza delivered till I moved to Tennessee. Y'all don't know what it's like on the other side of the world. Five hours from here. Right. Here in Knoxville, people complain about Knoxville. I threw this microphone at your face. <laughs> so much traffic because people live here. <laughs> Had to wait in line because you have actual restaurants. There was a re- the town that, I'm, that I lived in when Lindsay first got married, uh, I just went there to visit. We went for Christmas. There's a new re- restaurant. I use that term very loosely. There's a new restaurant there. So every time there's a new restaurant there, it's like a gold rush. Just boom, because you can only eat so much McDonald's and Subway. Went in there. I ordered something. It was unbelievably terrible. I don't, have the, I don't have the vocabulary to explain how bad this actually was. I have cooked stuff, messed it up, and it still tastes better than that. <laughs> After it was over, I got to talking to the owner. He was like, how is it? And I'm Southern, so I lie. Man, this was great. So I start talking to him and I find out, I said, so how long you been here? He goes, well, this is just my side hustle. It's like, okay, what do you do full time? 
He said, oh, I'm the main cook at the prison. And then it dawned on me. I just paid for prison food. I just paid $12 for prison food. And your Mackles cookout's four minutes away. <laughs> Get out of here with that noise. <laughs> right? right? Now, then, if I had time to teach you, I might teach you later. God actually teaches us that investing money is holy. Yes. He teaches that. He teaches that. He tells the parable of the talents, and he says, I gave one, five, one, two, one, one. Right, And the one that had five, he invested it. He traded, and it gained five more. The one with two traded, he gained two more. The one with one put it in the ground. He didn't put it to work for him. And God called him wicked and lazy. He said, you should have put it into the trade so I could come back and receive it with interest. That's how we take care of then. Now... Then, you with me? You with me? After we get now under control and we get then going, we get then moving, then we have to take care, watch, of us. This means I'm not just taking care of me and my kids. I'm taking care of me and my grandkids. Because a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And I don't plan on just leaving them a bunch of books. And old Bibles. Okay? But Lisa already told me, I said, honey, what are you going to do one day? When I die, you want me to leave you my library where I spend my life studying, weeping and preparing words from God to preach to the nations? She said, yeah, leave it to me because I'm going to sell every one of those bad boys. <laughs> That's what she said. She said, yeah, I want because I'm going to sell those jokers. Before your body even gets cold, they'll be on eBay. <laughs> Didn't you say that? Yeah. <laughs> take care of now. Just take care of now. Take care of then. Just take care of then. You take care of us, meaning I'm not just changing my house. I'm changing my family. That's God's will for us. After we take care of now, then we get to then. After we take care of then, we take care of us. And then after we take care of us, then we are prepared to take care of them. You understand? then we can take care of them. And we want to rail about everybody that's not doing anything for them. And we're not preparing to take care of them either. We're not doing what we need to do to be one of those evil, wealthy people that can help poor people. Right? They are waiting on us to get our stuff together, right? 
it cost $7,000 to, to drill a well in Haiti. And that doesn't just give some people some water. It changes a village. But we can't do that. Some bed nets can eradicate malaria off the face of the earth. But we can't do that. We can't do that. We're not ready. We've not followed, we've not laid the foundation to be that. There's people living close to you. People living in this city that are going hungry. People living in this city that couldn't have Christmas. People living around you that killed themselves because they're about to get foreclosed on their mortgage because they lost their job when the pandemic hit. And we couldn't do that. I heard this story the other day. There was this wealthy man. <clears throat> I actually heard Dave Ramsey tell this story. He was meeting with this wealthy man. He was worth about $20 million. And he had just taken, he, he grew up broke and poor. And he, uh, he had dreamed that one day if he ever made money, he wanted to go on one of those vacations where he could just take everybody, take his kids and their spouses and the grandkids and everybody and just take them on a vacation and pay for it. And, uh, and that, that's like Lindsay's thing. Lindsay's probably researching vacations right now. She's at home because my middle daughter's sick, but she's probably looking up cruises to God knows where. <clears throat> and so finally, he, he amassed enough wealth he could do that. So he took them for two weeks around the British Islands, sailing around the British Islands. And he asked me, he said, how much did that cost? I mean, I know you ain't supposed to ask that, but how much did that cost? He said, well, I don't mind telling you how much it cost. It cost $67,000. He did that for his family. Can you believe it? He should have taken that money and given it to the poor. There was somebody else that said that. Why is this lady pouring out that perfume on your feet? She should have sold it and gave it to the poor. That's what Judas said. Two weeks later, he comes. There's a ministry that reaches out to him. They're wanting to buy bicycles for kids for Christmas. So he says, all right, well, how much, well, you know, what's your vision? And he told him, he said, well, how much is it going to cost to do all of it? Because I, I might just pay for all of it. He said, are you serious? He said, yeah. He bought three tractor trailers worth of bicycles to hand out in the inner city for kids that didn't have bicycles because it's Christmas and Jesus wants you to have a bicycle. How much did that cost? $79,000. And he said, I'm, I, the only thing I did was that when we bought the bicycles, I, I made the guy promise me that me and my family that just got back from the vacation come down there and help hand them out. Wow. And he said, guess how much? We went on the vacation and we went and handed out bicycles. Guess where we had the most fun? And Dave said, handing out the bicycles. He said, that's right. But then he looked at him and said, but the vacation was good too. You should do both. <laughs> Why does it get weird when we talk about this? Why does it get weird? Right? 
$67,000 on a vacation. It's like you buying a biscuit. So simmer down. Right? <laughs> Sorry, it just came out. <laughs> we are called as the church of Jesus Christ to them. We're called to them. But we have to take care of now, then us, and then them. I know pastors that have spent their life trying to feed the world and lose their family. That does not honor God. Okay. You take care of your house or you're worse than an unbeliever, and then you're ready to take care of them. That's who we're called to. That's who we're called to. That's what we should be preparing for now. But we'll never be able to meet them if what they need is money and we think money's wicked and everybody that possesses it is wicked. The Bible does not warn against money. It warns against the attitude and the spirit that we have about money. Okay, That's why we're not called to be rich to accumulate and to acquire and to amass and to lay up for ourselves treasure on earth. We are called to be wealthy, which is not about accumulation. It's about empowerment. Hearing what I'm saying? Stand on your feet. Heard another story. This elderly couple walked into church. It's a true story. It sounds like a parable when I first started that, didn't it? It sounded like a joke. Two old people walk into a church. <laughs> Older people. Two elderly people were in a church. Husband was out front helping park cars. The grandma was sitting in church and it was a Baptist church, and I grew up Baptist. And I don't know if you know this, but in Baptist churches, you have assigned pews. They're not marked, but it's just a cultural understanding that that's where the Thompsons sit, and that's where the McAlpines sit, and that's where the blacks sit. I mean, it's just understood. Except in our church, my grandma did give a little scratch mark on the back of the pew, so I would always remember that's where it was at. And uh, when she walked into church, when this grandmother walked into church, there was a, a new couple there sitting in her pew. Now, in most Baptist churches, that's what we call a problem. Somebody sitting in your seat. But she was a Christian, so she was glad they were there. And uh, when she walked up on them, you know, like a good Baptist lady, she was listening in on their conversation. <laughs> she was eavesdropping. And uh, they were arguing because their lights were getting cut off on Tuesday. They didn't have the money. They came to church looking for help. They weren't Christians. They weren't saved. They just stumbled into church hoping for some answers. So she overheard them. She walks up. She sits beside them. She introduces herself, hugs their necks, and, you know, how you do in church. 
you hug total strangers. And uh, worship goes on. Her husband comes in from parking cars. She leans over and tells him what's going on. And they had taken care of their family. Their kids were grown and gone. They had followed God's plan for handling money. They were wealthy. They were empowered. They were looking for people to bless. She leans over and tells her husband. He walks outside, calls the power company, pays their power bill for a year in advance. Comes back in, says, and doesn't tell him. And during worship, the husband gets a text on his phone saying his bill's been paid. He looks over at the old couple, look, God answers prayer. They're like, oh, wow. Look at God. can't take care of them we're not ready to take care of them until we get some things sorted out in our own life but that's where we're called to be that's what we're called to do so it is righteous and holy and good for us to start getting for everybody in this room to start getting your financial affairs in order for their sake for their sake get out of debt this year live on a budget live on less than you make stop acting rich stop acting rich have a dear friend he struggled his, I don't know why this is, I don't know much about his, his upbringing, his early years, but he struggled his whole life comparing himself to everybody else. And when one good friend would get a new truck, he'd go buy a new truck. Then another friend would get a bigger truck, he'd go buy a bigger truck. Then one friend bought a house, he bought a house. Another guy bought a, another vacation home. He's trying to buy a vac- Then buying this, and he's buying that, and he's running, and it ends up he almost put his family out on the street trying to keep up, trying to keep up. Stop acting rich. God's not called us to be rich. He has called us to be empowered. And don't throw stones so quickly at other people that have money when you don't know what they gave. You don't know who they helped. Amazon, you got three packages coming this week. You prime member. Right? Apple, you got an iPad, an Apple Watch, an iPhone, a Mac laptop. It's easy to manage everybody else's stuff. God's called us to them. We have to take care of now, then, and us, and then we can get to them. This sermon, this is this is a very, 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 very broad introduction into what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks. 
But I believe if we'll listen, I believe if we'll let God stretch us and challenge us in some ways, I believe he can use us to change lives. The the essence, the essence of the kingdom of God, listen to me, is manifesting solutions to people's problems. That's the essence of the kingdom, to manifest solutions to people's problems. And not everybody's problem is spiritual. Sometimes it's economic. And when we meet that need, that is just as much the kingdom of God as me laying hands on a sick person and then being healed. The essence of the kingdom is manifesting solutions to people's problems. And I say, let's be kingdom people. Can I get a witness from somebody? Let's be kingdom people. Give Jesus another praise. We love you so much. I'm going to pray for you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We want you, God, to to get through us in all sorts of ways. We want you to get through us. We want you to heal hurts. We want you to bring hope. We want you to change lives. We want you to do it through us. We want you to do it through us. Let us be kingdom people. Yes, let us be powerful in prayer. And yes, let us be powerful to manifest answers to people's struggles in every other aspect of their life. Thank you for your word. Give us grace this year. Give us understanding this year. Give us wisdom this year. Help us get positioned to be the financially empowered people you've called us to be. Help us get positioned to be blessed, to be for the purpose of, for the sake of being a blessing. To stop misfortune on behalf of somebody else. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Hope Unlimited, we love you. We will see you next Sunday, 10 a.m. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church slash give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.